0: I'm Melanie Ho, author of Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against. It's a different kind of business book, based in research, but told as a novel and designed to spark discussion and change about gender equity in the workplace. Thank you for joining this discussion as my co-host, Carla Hickman, and I talk about the challenges that women continue to face at work that are too often only discussed behind closed doors. I'm
1: Carla Hickman, joined by my co-host, Melanie Ho, and this is episode four of Beyond Leaning In, our podcast discussion. We're going to talk today about the concept of biting our tongues, one that is near and dear to my heart. I always get in trouble for my facial expressions at work. Melanie could probably tell you I was told so often that I had to watch my facial expressions that I then had a second tell where I would angrily write into my notebook. And that's how you could know that I indeed was biting my tongue. So Melanie, this is one of those concepts that you might not have intended to spark such a discussion. So what's it like when your readers pick up on something in the book? that's unexpected like this one.
0: It's really interesting how books take on a life of their own in two ways. One is in the writing process, and then one is when it gets into the hands and in the ears of readers and listeners. So in the writing process, there is a distinction among folks like myself who did NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month to start uh, kickstarting writing the book. And in NaNoWriMo, they refer to plotzers versus pantsers. And what that means is that plotters are folks who come in with an incredibly detailed outline, and they just sort of follow it as they go along. And pantsers are flying by the seat of their pants and really maybe have a few ideas at the beginning, but just kind of see where the characters take them. And I'd say people often ask me which one I am, and I think I'm probably in the middle, but definitely closer to a pantser. Uh, Carla, having uh, worked, y'all can't see this in podcast land, but Carla is nodding her head, having worked with me for a long time. That's how I (laughs) approach many things. So as I was writing Beyond Leaning In, there were themes that I had a rough sense I wanted to go through from the research, but there were also ideas that just kind of unexpectedly came up as I was writing. And then there were ideas that unexpectedly came up as early readers started going through some of the scenes and the characters, and they'd point out, hey, actually, there's this theme that you've mentioned five times. And I would think I didn't even realize I mentioned it once. This is definitely one of those. I remember this. This comes up multiple times in the novel. The multiple times in the novel, there are occasions where different characters, and they can be men, they can be women, they can be senior, they can be junior, mid-level, actually have moments of biting or holding their tongues, that there is something that they're thinking that's probably really important for the conversation, probably something that will help move the organization's goals further. But for varying reasons, they've chosen to hold back. And it's kind of obvious that they're doing so. But the person on the other end sometimes knows that they're holding their tongue and sometimes doesn't know. And so I found it interesting because it wasn't something I intended at all, but people kept mentioning these scenes to them as ones that really stuck out. And so Carla, you picked the one today. You mentioned that this was one that stuck out to you. And honestly, when I wrote it, it was just meant to be a transition from one scene to another. And this one definitely stuck out to me. I've actually gone back and read it a few times.
1: So we're gonna share it with all of you today. I'm actually really excited to share the excerpt because we have big news. The audiobook version of Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity, and What Organizations Are Up Against is available. So we're excited for all of you to hear the audiobook just released. We'll make sure we put more information in the show notes if you want to check it out. But today's excerpt, as always, is narrated by the very talented Brittany Goodwin. We're going to be back with Deborah, who is the CEO of The Fictional Company, and Deborah's having a conversation today with one of her senior managers, a woman named Amber. Amber is one of those very successful employees in the company, a linchpin in many respects when it comes to product launches, and she has a new boss. He's an external hire to the company, a man named Leland. And Amber was passed over for this position. So Leland is coming from the outside. He is new to the company, new to the culture, and Amber is having some feelings, as you might expect, about how this is going. So let's listen in to Deborah and Amber.
2: When Deborah got back to the office, she was relieved to see her next appointment was with Amber. At least she was one person who was helping Deborah keep her job. Even though Amber smiled as she walked in the room, Deborah had to confront the fact that their interactions had felt different since Leland had been hired. The smile, it was partly sad, partly accusatory. Lately it seemed to come with the hint just a hint of a sigh. Three months into Leland's tenure, Deborah had started to check in weekly with Amber one on one. It was partly an insurance policy for their bottom line. If Leland's relaunches failed, at least Amber's new launches would compensate for it. Deborah had pushed Amber to go even faster than had been the original plan. This had required a lot of creativity on the part of Amber's team, launching slimmer products and putting in more extra hours than Deborah wanted to admit. The meetings were also Deborah's way of making it up to Amber, a silent acknowledgement that she knew the younger woman could run circles around the new CPO. Whenever she felt bad, Deborah tried to remind herself that Amber was still relatively young. She'd have plenty of time to become a CPO. She'd get over the disappointment. Today, they spent a productive half hour discussing a few additional new launches that Amber's team was evaluating. Deborah didn't tell her about the Maximilian news, but she did note that there was some urgency to getting the new launches done faster. You know that revenue from our existing products has been declining, said Deborah. As a result, we need to get two additional new launches identified pretty quickly, say in the next six months. I know that's a bit of a change in what you were expecting. Okay, said Amber slowly, obviously absorbing the information. I think I can figure out how to rearrange the team. Will I be able to hire any additional help given the accelerated time frame? Deborah didn't even know if Amber would be able to keep all her existing staff, given the layoffs they'd probably need to do soon. But she couldn't say that. Unfortunately, no, but I'm happy to help you reprioritize items on your team's plate. Okay, said Amber again. I'll get back to you by the end of the week with a proposal. Deborah thanked her employee and then ended the check in in the same way she always did. Is there anything else I can help you with? Amber opened her mouth, then closed it again. After a short but noticeable delay, she replied, Thanks, I'm sure I'll have questions after I work on the project plan. As Amber got up from her seat and walked toward the door, there was a sporadic pause in her step that Deborah couldn't help but notice. She'd seen it many times across her career. It was an indicator of a person who wanted to say something, but hadn't decided if they would or not. Usually this meant they were on the precipice, deciding whether to start a difficult conversation or not. If Deborah were candid with herself, sometimes she felt too tired to ask what was going on, even when such signs were staring her in the face. She often let herself assume that if it were important, the person would raise it again later. She saw Amber's hand move toward the doorknob. Again, a slight pause midair. Today, Deborah decided to do the right thing. Are you biting your tongue? She asked. Amber looked surprised. Well, I guess there is one thing I wasn't sure if I should mention. Deborah gestured Amber back to the chair. I know this isn't my place, but I thought I should say something. Amber trailed off as she alternated between making eye contact with Deborah and looking at her hands. I think maybe there are a few areas where Leland could use some more onboarding support. He seems like a nice guy and all, but I'm a little worried about his impact on the team. Shit. Deborah didn't like to swear, even in her head. But statements worded as questions were never a good thing. That was what staff did when they had something important to say, but were worried about being out of bounds. She'd certainly deployed that tactic throughout her own career. And the veiled reference to Leland's needing onboarding support, even the most dense CEO knew that was the polite way of noting someone was a disaster at their job. She tried to keep an even tone. Could you be more specific? Amber seemed to gain confidence now and spoke more directly. Well, I think he hasn't gotten to know our products or our teams very well, so that might make it hard for him to lead the relaunches effectively. The staff have a lot of great ideas about what's working and not, but he hasn't really asked anyone. If he didn't trust our opinions, he could get into the market himself and talk to customers, but he hasn't really done that either. He just talks a lot about how they did things at his old company and throws around a lot of business jargon. I don't want to overstep, but maybe he needs some coaching. Deborah wished that she were alone so she could take the ice compress out of the mini-fridge in the corner of her office and put it on her forehead. Leland had assured her in his interview and first weeks on the job that his first step would be a deep listening tour with both staff and customers. Okay, maybe Deborah should have followed up with him, asked him what he was learning, pushed him on it. She'd just assumed that someone at that level of seniority, and frankly, salary would know what to do. She wasn't paying him to be babysat. Had Leland really not gotten to know the staff, the products, the customers? That certainly explained why he was struggling. Deborah knew Amber had baggage on this, but it probably wasn't her baggage speaking. It was as if Leland had read one of those, what to do your first six months in a new job books, and decided to do the exact opposite. Thanks for letting me know. Deborah said. This was tricky ground. On the one hand, she had to acknowledge the problem Amber was stating, or risk losing credibility herself as a CEO who refused to listen. On the other hand, she couldn't be too negative about Amber's boss. That's good advice for me on where to coach him, she continued. And you're right. Things are moving slowly, and I've wondered why. Relationships are so important to leadership— It seems like he just hasn't had a great style and needs to get to know you all better. Hopefully that message worked. Relationship building was something concrete and fixable she could help Leland work on, right? He had a strong team below him. If he learned to listen to them, he'd be able to guide and support them effectively. I think that's a start, said Amber. So maybe the message hadn't worked so well after all. What else? Debra asked. There's a lot of frustration around that interoffice office memo template he's enforcing, Amber continued. Not that we couldn't do a better job with internal communications, but it's added a lot of unnecessary work to our plates. When there's a lot of product relaunch and new launch work, we don't know how we're going to get done. Debra flinched. That template was a waste of time, she said without thinking. I'll let him know we need to dial back the adherence to strict memo templates, but let's look at the bright side. At least he hasn't made decisions or offended anyone on anything consequential. As soon as Deborah said this, she realized it was dumb. Was she really implying that it was a positive that Leland hadn't made decisions on anything important? And the truth was that he had made a lot of bad decisions. His non-action on the product relaunches, Whatever he may have done or said that led to the Maximilian group's divesting in them. She felt herself rambling next, thanking Amber again for her feedback before adding, Leland brings a lot of strengths and experience to this role. I know he's not perfect, but you all need to give him a chance. That's just how business works. A look of disgust flashed across Amber's face before she managed to hide it behind a thin smile. Right. Well, Thanks for listening, she said. I'll get back to you with my project plan later this week. Amber left before Deborah could figure out something better to say. Deborah spent the next hour staring at her computer, missing two meetings accidentally in the process. She picked up the phone twice to call Terry to discuss whether they might need to be pathing Leland out. She put it back down both times. They couldn't afford to have the CPO position vacant right now. Not with so much work to get done. He'd just have to get better. And fast. She pulled LinkedIn up on her phone and looked at his resume again. Everything about his profile indicated that he would succeed. Nobody was perfect. He'd had a rough start. But he'd get better.
0: Well, welcome back, everyone. We have Katie Sunku Wood and Heather Van Hookie here today. They are two sisters who read Beyond Leaning In together. Katie is our fantastic podcast producer with Studio Pod Media. and so she's usually behind the scenes and excited to have her, I guess it's not on camera, but on air with us today. and we are joined by Katie's sister Heather, who is CEO of a railroad engineering company. I just met Heather recently through a focus group with other C-suite and VP-level women talking about Beyond Leaning In and the challenges for women in leadership. So thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you two came to reading the book together.
3: Yeah, well, I'm Katie, and it's fun to be on this side of the mic. I came to read the book just so that I would know it for the podcast. And I just fell in love. And I thought I couldn't put it down. It was really easy to read and just really opened up a whole lot of new feelings for me. So then I dragged my sister into it and was like, You have to read this book. And she has two small children and she runs a small company. And so, you know, that wasn't the easiest thing to ask of her, but she did it. And uh, we haven't really talked about it yet. So I've been like very curious to hear what you have to say.
4: Yeah, what Katie said is exactly what happened. She kept telling me, I have to read this book. And I kept saying, in what free time do you think I have? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But as soon as I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. Because it was really everything that I see and experience all the time. And in such good words that I was like, this is what could show people what I'm trying to explain. But it's so hard to explain. Like the novel set up. At first I was like, huh, that's strange. But then it was, I mean, very quickly I realized like, oh, you're, this is the way we show people the way they think, the way they interact without like yelling it at them, but showing those examples. So I was just really enamored with the book and that's how I got here.
0: Well, I've mentioned to a few listeners that we have two sisters discussing the book and everybody's so excited to hear sisters discussing it. Maybe let's begin with the scene that we just listened to.
4: Honestly, that scene makes me cringe. I've actually had a couple of moments on either side. It's just those tricky interactions. And you know, she's like doubling down on a bad decision. And you just want to scream at her and be like, get out. Just, you know, like, just get out. So that scene, especially in the book, like always makes me cringe.
3: Yeah. And Heather, I've been super excited to talk to you about this because I think both of us in our personal lives, like people would not say that we hold our tongues, especially, I guess, interacting with each other. But I don't know how you felt in your professional life. But for me, I, I actually, when I was in grad school, I had like friends tell me like, oh, you don't ever speak up in class. Like we don't No one ever knows what you're thinking, which surprises me because I feel like in our personal lives, we're very outspoken.
4: Yeah. But I think we save that for our personal lives. I think we also are very opinionated people. And so in our heads, we know what we think, but we don't always share that, you know. And we use each other as our sounding board of everything good, bad, and ugly. So like, you know, whether that's right or wrong, we definitely go all in when we talk about things. But out in the world, I think we're both very cautious of who we are. I think society totally teaches us that, though. Like, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, you know, like, I'm a strong willed person and I'm not afraid to voice my opinion, but then you're going to be too strong or you're going to be too weak for not speaking out. And it's like a very fine line that women have to walk. And I think we start like I anyways started very young internalizing, like, here's how I can interact with these people. Here's how I can interact with these people, you know, watching the way I interacted now, to be fair, That's a lot of why I'm successful, because I can talk to all kinds of different people and all kinds of different education levels, backgrounds. But sometimes I wonder, you know, my counterparts that are men, they don't think about that. They don't think about molding to interacting the way other people are and meeting them where they are. So is it okay that I'm like that? But it's also a strength that I'm like that. You know, my boss before this, he didn't think for a second about how to meet you where you were. You know, he was the boss. You met him where he was. You interacted the way he wanted to interact. And I don't really do that. And I've never done that.
0: I love what you said, Heather, about that that sort of delicate balance women are always feeling they need to play that men don't, which is assessing every single personality and when do I need to hold or bite my tongue? And the kind of exhaustion that comes with there's a phrase I use in the book that I actually got from somebody on a discussion board who had said that they felt like all day they were wrapping their comments in bubble wrap. And I think that women are constantly doing that in a way that many men don't have to. And actually, I give men that advice as well, because it's just good practice for anyone to understand their audience. But how to think about when I'm doing it in a way that's different for women versus men and when that's necessary, because it's what they need to do to advance versus when that's just playing into the patriarchy further.
4: Being able to meet people where they are is such a leadership strength, but then it's such a fine line to placating, you know, and just being part of that patriarchy, like you're saying. and. You know, I've so many times in my career, I work with a lot of men and a lot of like field guys and they're rough and tumble Southern guys. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been told in my career that, you know, you're so good at this and you're not like other women. And like, I- I've i just now come to a place in my life where I'm like, I'm not, we're not going to, we're not going to say that anymore. Like, that's a complete insult. And I've always known it was an insult. But how do you like say that without coming off rude or bitchy or whatever it is.
0: So is that something you've said when people have given you that so-called compliment?
4: Yeah. I mean, probably in the last five years for sure. I mean, I, I know a lot of the guys really well now, so it comes off better because I'm like, look, like I am a woman and that's not a compliment. Like there's plenty of women like me and there's plenty of men that are different. That's not something to go around saying, you know, like it's not okay. It's just like, you know, there's just so many things that are always backhanded compliments that that's not what they are. They're insulting all women. Yes, I can put on a hard hat. There's lots of women that could do that.
0: How have men responded to that? To me,
4: fine. To me, they're like, okay, all right. But I think one thing Katie would probably say about me is I have a bit of a presence. So people don't usually probably don't react the same to me as they might others.
3: I'm sure it was very effective when you <laughs>
4: it was. <laughs> it's
3: probably <laughs> stuck in their minds.
4: <laughs> it is stuck in their minds. Yes but that
3: goes this goes back to like this exact excerpt and you know holding our tongues and it's such an awkward thing because you feel like if you speak up then it's such a catch-22 and like you know then you're being the problem or you're creating a problem or you're calling attention to yourself even though you're trying to bring up an issue so this especially it was it was really satisfying to read and and felt seen but I still, I don't know that I still have the confidence to go in, in my work situations um, and speak up more because of it.
4: Well, but you don't always have the power in your work situations. I mean, that's probably, that's part of the problem with the power. I mean, Amber didn't have the power in that situation. And if you're always kind of shut down, because that's what I see a lot of is women and minorities, we get shut down, you know, like, and you show that a lot in the book of like, how quickly we get shut down. Like, well, that's, you know, nice story, moving on. And then you just learn to shut down and not speak up.
0: And that the shutting down is often for reasons that seem good in the short term. So in this case, Deborah actually took the moment to listen to Amber. But in a lot of cases throughout the book, she doesn't take that moment. And it's not out of ill intent, it's that there's something else on her calendar that feels more urgent in that moment, and that we are all kind of. Just at the mercy of these calendars that are full of meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and thing to do and deadline and deadline. And so I think that's where leaders want to listen, but don't always do so.
4: Yeah. Well, and they also have their own things going on too. I mean, on a daily basis, I have all six people are in my office at some point, and then I've never got my own work done. And then I have my own personal life things going on. So, you know, it's hard to always even recognize that moment when like when she's talking in there about amber like she knows amber's thinking about wanting to say something like i've definitely seen those moments many times and it's just always a balance of do i want to get into this you know do i have the energy to get into this because sometimes people just need to unload whatever it is and sometimes you have the bandwidth for that and sometimes you don't you know being a leader does not mean you're a perfect person that's for sure
3: Do you think this book, reading this book, especially this passage, the idea of holding your tongue, has that changed how you feel about any of that?
4: Here's what it's changed. The way I am, my personality in general, I don't know that I need to be different, but I need to be better at supporting the women that work for me and, you know, helping guide them to have a voice here or, you know, and helping guide the men that work for me. Honestly, I'm I already have a plan to have everyone in our office read this and start discussions on it. So yeah, I think it did change my views as far as, you know, reminding me that not everyone is like me and that I have to encourage women to look and in the men to look at themselves and reevaluate. I mean, we're tiny and I'm definitely gonna get some pushback trying to do a corporate like study type thing with this book but they, I think eventually they'll see their value in it, you know, and I just want to open that dialogue back up and not always be a rush, rush, rush.
3: And you even are making Kyle read it now, your husband,
4: right? I did make him read it. Yes, he is reading it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, because he works in engineering, works a ton of women and Kyle's one of those guys, he's a super sweet guy. Everyone loves him. So he kind of gets away with saying things and I don't want him to speak because he doesn't say anything bad, but you know, he asks people like personal questions and he has definitely the other end of boundaries is his problem. So I was like, this book will explain because he reminds me of in the guy's name, Kyle, in the book, even <laughs> yeah. he reminds me of him of like, he just doesn't know what he doesn't know. Like, I think that's a big majority of the men that could read this book is they care, but they don't live our experience. So they don't know. They don't know that, you know, when we're in the office all day, we have all these layered thoughts going on. Like you were saying, Melanie, about how do I talk to this person? How do I do that? Like Kyle doesn't know that because he's just never thought like that. No one ever taught him he had to be like that. He's just like, hey, how you doing? Who you dating? You know, like he, he's just being friendly. He doesn't know <laughs> that there's this whole other world that he has to watch out for that we have to think about all day long. So I think that is a huge group of people that could be the change makers and that would benefit hugely from this book. I mean, honestly, a lot of women, I think it would be good to read and see yourself and see that. But I think they're more aware of a lot of these situations. I think men are the ones that could read it and be like, oh, I never thought about the fact that I was asking my fellow interns to answer the phones, you know, because like, <laughs> they really don't think about it because they've never been in those positions.
3: I have yet to ask my husband, but I certainly thought about it as I was reading. I think it would be interesting because I'm constantly talking to him about all these things that are going through my head. And I think he's just like exhausted with hearing my inner thoughts. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, How, why do you think about it like this? And I think reading this book for me was like, oh, this isn't really just, I'm not crazy. This is happening across the board and lots of women are seeing all of these, you know, Heather, you called it layers and, you know, it's just, we're constantly, I'm sure there are plenty of men that do it, but yeah, in my case, I feel like Monish just kind of goes about his day and like, doesn't think as much into it and, and is just like, oh, that person was kind of short on the call. I don't know, maybe they're having a bad day. And, you know, if it were me, I'd be like thinking about that for the rest of the week and like... (laughs) you know, wondering what went wrong or what I did wrong and what else I should have said or, you know. So, yeah, I think that's cool that Kyle read it. He should talk to Monish about it and tell him to read it.
4: Yeah, they can come on a podcast. That would probably be pretty funny. (laughs) They're more entertaining than we are. (laughs) In real life, they don't get to speak up as much. (laughs) That's true.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's just so interesting to me. I mean, Yeah, of course you were like more professional at work. You know, we even actually, I worked for you for a number of years on the side. And I think in going into it, I I suspect we both had some nerves about how it would go because we can just tend to like be like fire sometimes when we get around each other and just like let little things upset us. And I don't think professionally we ever had an issue. I think I worked for you on this like side for three or four years right after I graduated from grad school, helped pay off those school loans. <laughs> and yeah, it was interesting. It was neat to see that like, oh, we are, like interact really well there. But I just, I worry that you think about me and you're like, oh, Katie probably is like constantly causing problems at work because she's like so passionate and outspoken about stuff. But that's like how we are as sisters, but we're not that way professionally.
4: I think I always think that you're like me at work. I think that you internalize more at work than I do because I think I am like more of a, oh, that guy's being a jerk. I'm walking away from that. Like, don't care. But I think I always thought, I always knew we'd work well together. We were, you know, we were always taught to be hard workers, but you have to come off professional as a woman in the workplace. You know, you can't talk about personal stuff too much and I can pop art, monolize everything. So like when I'm at home with my kids, I'm a mom. And I think that person, they wouldn't recognize CEO mom. I mean, like on the weekends, I'm dying eggs and I'm a sucker and I let them have too much candy and watch too much TV and they can sucker me in anything. But at work, they would never know that part of my personality like that. No way. But I don't know if that's a good thing.
3: I know. I feel like we're like talking, we're like advising like
4: the opposite of Melanie's <laughs> Don't compartmentalize. Stuff. It's not great. <laughs> well, I think it's good to an extent, but I do think uh, it's kind of going back to what we were saying. Like our husbands kind of just walk around being who they are, wherever they are. We walk around like, okay, I am now this person when I'm at work. I am this person when I'm with my, you know, like in all these pieces. And I don't know which is right or wrong, you know?
0: I think there's, it's hard because there's advantages and disadvantages anywhere on the spectrum that you can compartmentalize too much and then be seen as inauthentic. You can be too authentic and be seen as unprofessional. You know, how much do you bring your whole self to work and how much don't you? And that with women, there's this sort of narrow band of where you're allowed to be, whereas with men, they can go too far in either direction and it can be excused and okay. And that, you know, how much is it that we need a system and a culture that allows women to operate on a wider band? And how much of it is that we need a system and culture that actually has penalties if men go too far in either direction as well?
4: Yeah, because I mean, there's, women get penalized all the time if they talk too much about their kids or, you know, that kind of stuff going on. Men, they're seeing, I mean, they're like, oh, you're such a sweet dad if they're talking about their kids. I mean, it's all these little things that happen where we, and I'm not immune to it. I mean, the men start talking about, and you naturally think like, oh, you're a good dad. Like they get praised for just being like a normal parent.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> I mean, that's I, like I went down a hole there. But that is a, I mean, it's a, it's a balance. I hope that our next generation, we're helping them find better.
0: Well, on that topic of what we're looking to pass on to the next generation and just thinking about what we can do differently in our own workplaces, Katie and Heather, before we end today, would love to get a sense. And I know, Heather, you touched on this a little bit of what are some of the things that you plan to do differently after having read Beyond Leaning In?
4: Definitely one of the things I want to do is, like I said, spend more time making sure I'm listening, making sure I'm giving people space because I think that's a big problem is we're always rushed and not giving them the space and time to open up and show me their ideas, but also teaching and trying to enlighten the men that work for me that like, this is a real thing, you know, like this isn't just some East coast corporate world nonsense training that everyone wants to ignore. Like this is a real life. It's harder for us and you need to recognize it so you can be cognizant of the way you interact with others. Uh, Because I think that's really the biggest step, you know, if we can get the majority of people just aware of the way these interactions go, the aware of the way they say things to each other, even the little things, like one of the things I really loved in the book was when you were talking about giving kudos emails or shout outs to, you know, a man and a woman and talking about, you know, she makes the best cupcakes or whatever it was, you know, that really stuck with me because I've seen that so many times and we don't mean anything bad by those little things. But if we can teach ourselves to be aware of them, we can realize that like what I should say when I have a woman employee who did an awesome job is she's great at analytics. She did an awesome job. Not like I feel like she's a good team player, you know, Those little tweaks make a huge difference. And that was what will make a huge difference to the next generation. I mean, the generation before us are the ones that stood up and said, no more. We're not going to do the sexism. We're not going to do, you know, that we're going to make these big boundaries. So now it's like we need to work on these little boundaries, you know, the microaggressions. I think if we can make those little steps, then that's what can make the difference in the next round. And that's what matters
0: to me. I love that.
3: Yeah. Unlike Heather, I'm not really in a position of power very often, or at least not that I realize. but so I think for me going forward, the big takeaway was just feeling and being more aware of how much value I can bring. And, you know, I don't, I think I ever thought about it like that, that exactly like what Heather was talking about those memos that say, Oh, well, she's a great team player. And like, to me, that would have been the biggest compliment. And I think still will be a great compliment, but like, that's very much how I thought about myself and I, I think reading your book I was it was opening my mind to no I really contribute to like concrete ideas and numbers and in things like I, I don't come from the business world and my background sort of journalism and producing now and so I think a lot of that you know a lot of value there is being a team player but um, you know there's a, a ton of value I bring in other ways and so I guess my my going forward is a little more selfish but it's just feeling more confident about what I bring to the table and speaking up more about things that I bring to the table.
0: I love that. And a man would never call it selfish. Yeah, they would not. That's a good point.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Is this final one going to just say my sister's awful? I feel like that's what's going
3: (laughs) to... That should be the title. No.
4: (laughs) (laughs) No.
3: (sighs) I don't even know that we got into that, but like, I, I think we have a very loving... can be tumultuous relationship and yes but I I think I have a huge respect for what you do and I look forward to hearing more from you of what you thought of the book because it was fun to read and it was I think you are a great CEO and it's cool to hear that you're interested in getting your employees to read the book
4: well not to spend too much of Melanie's time but you're awesome at what you do you've always been awesome at what you do so I think you underplay your own value my friend
3: well Melanie's book has helped me
4: see that more (laughs) Good. Thank you,
0: Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me be here. And it just feels like such an honor to hear the two of you sisters talking about this set of topics related to the book together for the first time.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. This was fun.
0: Welcome back. I'm rejoined by Carla. We just listened to Katie and Heather reacting to that excerpt from Beyond Leaning In, and I loved having this conversation with two sisters. Carla, to begin with, I know that you have a sister and mentioned that you were particularly excited about this conversation. Would love to hear your thoughts and a little bit about you and your sister. Well,
1: I was similar to Katie. I read the book first, as you know, and I just thought the first person I want to talk about this book, other than Melanie, is my sister. I have a younger sister. We've been close our whole lives. She is also an incredibly accomplished and very busy professional. She has a a senior job that keeps her busy morning until night. She actually has clients and customers and coworkers around the globe. So you can imagine that makes for some early mornings and some long evenings. She's also the mom of two little ones. So she has two boys under the age of five. And so I laughed uh, when Heather said, you know, in all her spare time, she was going to read the book because my sister had a very similar reaction and she devoured it in three days. And, you know, she just couldn't put it down because it was an experience for her being able to step back and reflect on some conversations and her current role, reflect on conversations she and I have had together at different points in our careers. It actually, I think, prompted us to talk about things that we haven't really spent the time to explore how that felt. It was really taken by the conversation you, Katie, and Heather had about the tone of the approach. What persona am I wearing in this moment? When you and I spoke in the very first episode of Beyond Leaning In, you talked about some of the reasons why gender equity is hard in the workplace. And so I wondered if we if you see that connection too, this biting your tongue could be connected to this concept of sort of unequal penalties, and what will be held against me if I'm the one who says something.
0: I think a lot of women find a few challenges when it comes to biting their tongue or, or not biting their tongue. you know one of them is this sense that they don't want to be that woman, the woman who's raising all of the gender equity issues, because then that will be how they're defined rather than as being successful and effective at whatever their job role is. There's actually even research that shows when women and people of color advocate and support other women and people of color, they're actually penalized for it. Whereas when white men do that, they're seen positively as valuing diversity. And so that's another challenge. Well, that makes me think of the microaggression
1: conversation Heather remarked. It's maybe our generation's opportunity to speak up about the everyday slights and the everyday little moments. And so it's how do you find your voice and sort of calibrate, is it worth it? Is this the time that I say something? Or do I actually if you've read the book and I apologize for this, this is not a spoiler, but it is a little bit of inside baseball for book readers. Is this a behind the ficus moment where you've got to sort of take it back to your office and just talk to your friends and process what just happened? But you don't speak truth to power in the in the middle of that meeting or scene because you're not sure how it's going to be received.
0: The book actually begins with Deborah, the CEO who we met earlier, realizing that there is an engagement problem and a retention problem for women at her company. And yet every single time she tries to get them to talk, she finds them biting their tongues.
1: Well, it's interesting too, Heather mentioned, you know, she's a CEO in a sort of a male dominated industry or company. My sister also works in an industry that's very male dominated. And so it made me think about the moments that men around us are also biting their tongues or holding back, maybe for a different reason. They're not sure how their comment will be received or they're treating a woman in power or a woman in leadership differently. And so you need that second person or third person who can help you interpret those moments and scenes, particularly as a senior leader in your organization sometimes.
0: That's a great point as far as how much on topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Everyone is always biting their tongues because people are so afraid to say the wrong thing or people don't want to be the one doing the emotional labor. They're just such emotionally charged and complex issues that unfortunately, there's a lot of walking on eggshells that goes on. So, in the book, Deborah is having this experience with
1: multiple members of her company, and you introduced the concept of a reverse mentor. So, I'd love to hear about is this in the research? Are you seeing reverse mentorship? What is that for our listeners?
0: I think it's still a very new idea, but we're starting to see some employers say, Mentorship actually needs to happen two ways. And, and that can be with one mentor-mentee pairing, or it can be a different pairing. But that in addition to, usually you think of a mentor as somebody who is more senior and experienced and kind of passing down the wisdom to somebody mm-hmm. more junior. But actually, if you think about all of the areas where more senior and tenured folks need feedback, it is often things that would require going to somebody who is more junior. And that might be because it's someone of a different generation who can help them understand a different cultural or technology trends. I, I think the, the most cliched way of thinking about reverse mentorship is helping understand things like social media and technology, which I actually think is very important, but really just the tip of the iceberg. Reverse mentors can help because more junior staff are often closer to the line. They understand challenges that the executives may not see. They probably have completely different interactions with customers and clients that the executive team also can't see. And so there's just so many different ways, whether it's a formal reverse mentorship program or even things like. Just executives make, and senior folks making sure to have conversations, not just with their direct reports, but the layer below that, what's often referred to the skip level or even the, the double skip level, go below that. And just getting a sense of creating space where they can get open feedback and input from across all layers of the org.
1: Yeah, I can imagine in the early part of the book, there is this engagement survey, and it clearly takes the entire senior leadership team by surprise. And I think that often happens in organizations. People are biting or holding their tongues. They're afraid to speak up. But then you get the anonymity of an engagement survey and you let loose. And that must feel bad for a senior team. So I have found in my management practice, skip levels, double skip levels, even the practice of taking folks who are multiple layers, but only just for a networking lunch, just to talk to them and get to know them better, opening up those communications, It's very cliche to say that I have an open door policy. The truth is most executives don't have an open door policy, not because they don't want to, but because they truly don't have the time. So the intentionality, I think here is very important.
0: I always say to folks, it's something you got to have on your calendar and you got to plan in advance. So every month, look at your calendar, think about the layers below you and Who do you need to have a formal conversation with? Who do you need to have an informal conversation? Because it's actually that blend that's really important. The way to ensure that everyone feels comfortable talking is that some staff need, or at certain points, they need pretty specific questions to know how things are going on an agenda in a meeting. And at other times, what they actually need is to know that there is a space where they can share thoughts openly. And maybe that's over coffee and maybe that's over lunch without that kind of formal agenda. But the only way it happens is if you make room on the calendar and deliberately say, hey, I'm going to do X number of these per month.
1: So I'm taking from this, it's not that I can't sometimes bite my tongue. And I think Heather and Katie had a really interesting conversation here. Sometimes it is better not to say the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> sometimes it is better to, to process with a friend or a spouse or a partner later, come back and revisit the situation. But hopefully through reverse mentorship, through these informal and formal means, there are fewer moments when we're so we're on such different pages about a situation. So Melanie, I want to thank you as always for taking us behind the scenes in your process as you all are reading the book and also listening to the book. So remember that new audio book just released this week. So definitely go get your copy. So whether you're listening along with us or reading along with us, if something sparks discussion for you, please do share it on our Beyond Leaning In community. We want to hear from you. Uh, Melanie, thanks for taking us behind the scenes in your process like always. And a big thank you to Heather and to Katie for sharing their thoughts on our episode this week.
0: Thank you all for listening. I'm Mel Niho, author of Beyond Leaning In. Please buy the book on Amazon or through www.beyondleaningin.com, where you can contact us and also learn more about the broader Beyond Leaning In conversation and community. This podcast is produced by Katie Sunku Wood at Studio Pod Media. Edits were made by Noda Lab. Music is by Mountain House. Please subscribe, rate, share, and get in touch with your ideas.